This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, the best comic book podcast for regular comic fans. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and joining me this week, two Anthony Bourdain wannabes, Brian Murray. Hello. And Nick White. I am also going to have Fox make a sitcom about my book and have Bradley Cooper star in the main role. I'm very, very excited to see that happen. Thank you. Uh, the, the Nick White story, and I'm sure... It's just going to go over swimmingly. But today we are here <laughs> to talk about comic books. Uh, before we get into the two legally mandated questions that I have for this show, I do want to announce it's official. I read comic books is going to Emerald City Comic Con 2024 way in next year, I guess. 2024, it's sometime at the end of February, early March. Um, get your tickets now. Get your plane. Get your hotel. All that stuff figured out. Come see us. If all things go according to plan, we're going to be doing an official Irie Comic Books panel live. We're trying to get that sorted out with the Emerald City Comic Con folks. Um, but just so you know, some of the folks, myself included, Kate, I think Paul's going to be there. Maybe a couple of others are going to be flying out to Seattle to do Emerald City Comic Con. So get your tickets. Yada, yada, yada. We're going to be doing some Irie... IRL meetup stuff um, and probably jamming around the con the entire weekend, maybe talking to some creators. But uh, if you have any questions, email us ircbpodcast at gmail.com. More announcements will be coming about what we're going to be doing there. But let's get into this week's show. Let's talk about comic books. I'm here to ask two legally mandated questions. That is, how have you been? How have comic books been? I'm hesitant to do this, but Nick, let's start with you. <laughs> what a what a wonderful intro. What a like I I feel like, you know, if you watch Hot Ones and like Sean Evans leads in with all these complimentary things, oh, you've seen him on these shows and he won a Tony and everyone's a big fan of this and that and Mike leads in with I shouldn't do this. Mhm. Well, Nick, once you've won a Tony, we can talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, they you, you got to start with small goals. So I guess that's mine. Um, I'm I mean, I'm doing after fine. last week's performance of Dave Matthews band songs. Yeah. I mean, you're on your way. I'll just say that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm just really glad that the snow is gone. I think that's pretty much the main relief for me. Uh, Brian, I don't know how much of it you got, if any. Uh, but we had six inches of snow on Halloween. So I guess that's your West Michigan weather watch. Absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And as I came back home through the middle of the town, there were a bunch of kids out doing the trunk or treat. I guess that wasn't the trunk or treat. That was the, later on in the weekend. Uh, this was just like the community Halloween, you know, go to the local businesses and you see these kids all dressed up and they're loving it. And the parents are like, this is probably the fifth circle of hell. And um, like, my God, like if, if I was like a parent, I would be like, look, you, you you can pick whatever candy you want. I will buy you a full bag. We can watch all the Paw Patrol <laughs> movies at home, and we don't have to go out in this shit, okay? Like, let's, yeah. let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. But, I mean, clearly mm -hmm. these parents, you know, are, are great or something. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, every, every Michigander of a certain age remembers going trick-or-treating with a coat over your costume. Right, right. Or coats underneath your costume. I think there were a couple of years in a row when I was a kid where I intentionally chose costumes that would have like looser fitting things so I could put a full winter coat on underneath my costume and it wouldn't change anything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a part of life, Nick. I guess yeah. that's what we're saying. So Absolutely. these kids have to have at least one Halloween where it snows. So let it be this one while they're young <laughs> and then maybe when they're older. Climate change will fix everything. There won't be snow I, I anymore. Mean, it, <laughs> yeah. This this sort of felt like it was maybe climate change derived. So I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. This this more be more might be more of a portent for the the the, the future than anything else. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, everybody's all about oh, I love you know Halloween happens and then it's Christmas season. So climate change is <laughs> giving you your wish, I guess. And this is a uh, you know let's just quickly roll on to all the other you know controversial topics while we're at it i'm That's kidding right. they've uh they've they've thought out mariah carey for the year yeah i right. saw that right. i saw that it looked like han solo and fucking carbonite it was the weirdest thing nick i'm hesitant to ask did you read any comments no for this? <laughs> oh okay okay <laughs> i've learned my lesson i just come completely unprepared now um i see i see no i read uh how to grill our love volume one uh this is a manga uh by shiori Hanasuka. Um, the series was first published by Kodansha in 2020 uh, and then came to the States uh, this year, 2023, courtesy of Kodansha USA, their, their US imprint. Um, and this series follows a computer engineer named Kenta Fukuyama. 
Uh, he's a 30-year-old man. They they draw immediate attention to that, and they're like, he's 30 years old. Can you believe it? Uh, and <laughs> right out of the gate, you know, his friend is like, what are you doing with your life? And, and this guy's like, well, I'm waiting for the right one. Um, and, you know, like, waiting for the right one is always going to be an uphill battle when you're, you know, geriatric by manga standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 30 years old. Can you fucking believe it? Just die already. Um <laughs> Anyway. What are you, me talking to the mirror five years ago? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but his uh, his friend twists his arm into getting onto a dating app, and he has several instances where he gets stood up, and then, you mm-hmm. know, at one, his date actually shows up, uh, but a little late, and her name is Chihiro Yamaguchi. She's a designer for, like, magazines. They don't mention her age. I suppose that's probably because she's not, like, you know, 30 you know, it's not like, can you believe it? And, you know, but he has a new problem because uh, he realizes that um, because she showed up late, he closed out his bill at the restaurant and he's leaving and he's like, I'll just take you to this other place. And without thinking, he takes her to this restaurant that he likes to frequent with the boys. Right. And it's Uh-oh. it's a it's a Hooters. Yaki Niku spot and i'm like oh yaki niku and the book is like can you believe this fucking idiot would do this can you believe it like don't you agree with me what an idiot yaku niku on a first date with a beautiful woman can you believe this guy and i'm like yeah what a total idiot and i open a new tab in chrome and start typing in uh wikipedia yaku niku uh <laughs> save me jimmy wales <laughs> I won't give you those three dollars you want quarterly, but uh, but please help me understand because I am just uncultured. Um, sure. So that's when I learned that uh, yaki niku is uh, small veggies and meats cooked on quote gridirons or griddles over a flame of wood charcoals carbonized by dry distillation or a gas electric grill. It's one of the most mm-hmm. popular dishes in Japan. And the origin of it is considered to be Korean barbecue. So uh, I learned something this week. And Amazing. Quite unfairly. Like yeah. What's that? Who doesn't want to roast fresh meat over a fire? Yeah. Like, right. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 So I learned that. And now you have to learn that. So I guess I'm just PBS now. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, it goes okay because she's like admires, quote, his ability to cook meat to perfection and they start going out to eat together and then he gets a transfer to another city several hours away and he's like oh we're not gonna see each other anymore and and she's like yeah so we should get married i'm like what (laughs) what (laughs) what classic classic and like even the guy is like hold on (laughs) i don't want to die alone but this just seems weird is this a scam married like like to me married (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah anyway uh it's really fucking weird and the book still hasn't really explained this away in a plausible idea he's like yeah fuck it let's get married and it's a long distance relationship for a while but but we'll make it work and um yeah so he like goes and he buys like a suburban house in the countryside not really countryside more like yeah it's more suburban and he's like my dream is to stand in the yard and barbecue and she's like, oh, you like the outdoors, right? Like camping and shit. He's like, no, fuck it. I just like grilling. I just want to grill. I don't want to do that other shit. And I was right. like, is this King of the Hill? This, I was going to say. Because, like because if King of the Hill is an anime, as some people say, then like maybe this <laughs> is like a manga King of the Hill kind of spiritual riff? sequel. It's a spiritual sequel. So, yeah. And like any manga, right? with food in it it's got recipes it's got ingredient lists they walk through the play-by-play of how to do it uh and like it has some weird recipes he does like pancakes but then he like riffs on it by doing like pancakes with ice cream and something called like rainbow peppercorn which is a thing okay anyway i just i i i like it so far you know they go on subsequent dates she visits him on the weekends their relationship starts to mature And it's one of those books, like, this is the thing I need with a food book, especially a food manga, is, like, the book has a typical manga look, but when it gets to the food, the food is, like, heavily over-detailed, like, the shading Mm -hmm. is, like, crazy, and it almost looks like a different book, 
And it's like those moments in like SpongeBob where he gets like super dehydrated and he's like, you know, I have no more water left. Right. And they like zoom in on like his heavily detailed, like super gross pores. And you're like, and it has that like weird detail tonal shift. And you're like, oh, my God, what happened? Like, that's what happens in this book. But but in a, in a good way, though. But right? in a it's good not, way, in a good way, in a good way. It, I mean, there's something about like, and, and this is true in like video games as well. I don't know what it is about video games made in Japan where they're like the food has to look good, like the food always right. has to look good. Like if you look at the food in Final Fantasy, what's the one with the bros in the car, like on a road? Final trip? Fantasy 15. I was 15? just gonna say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The food in that looks real. The food mm-hmm. in that looks real, and 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 this manga is right along the same you know train of thought. And like I already yeah. bought volumes like two through four. Like I'm on board. I you know is this gonna get weird? I don't know. That's the thing. I was gonna say if you want something with a little more excitement, I mm. and you want a good food manga. I mean, Food Wars is always out there for you. You know, people are literally bursting <laughs> from their clothes because of how good the food is. <laughs> Um, I, okay, I put well, up with a lot of dumb bullshit in anime, but yeah. that that anime had too much dumb bullshit for me. <laughs> exactly. So Nick, I'm just saying, you know, broaden your horizons. But uh, Brian, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? I have been pretty good. Um, life is slow right now. Nothing exciting going on. Um, I finally got around to reading uh, Swamp Thing Green Hell, which was my pick from like way back when we did our live episode. Yeah, uh, this is a DC Black Label book written by Jeff Lemire, art by Doug Mankey and Sean Mall, colors by David Barron, and letters by Steve Wands. Uh, this takes place in a not so distant future, where humanity has ruined the world, and a climate apocalypse has claimed most of human life, and the parliaments of the Green, the Red, and the Rot have decided that they are they've had enough and they want to finish the job. Okay. Unfortunately, uh, the red is not allowed to hurt living creatures, so it kind of falls to the green to take care of things. <laughs> okay. Fortunately for one little pocket of survivors, they happen to live near a lighthouse, and in that lighthouse lives a creepy old man, and that old man's name is John Constantine. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Willem <laughs> Dafoe. <laughs> I mean, yes. Same. <laughs> yeah. Honestly... I, let's cast it. Let's make this movie. Willem Dafoe, John Constantine. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, he'd be perfect if you if you see the art <laughs> for like the way they draw him. He's got kind yeah. of a Dafoe thing going on. Um, so he winds up basically reaching into the afterlife and pulling Alec Holland, screaming and kicking from his eternal peaceful rest with his wife and daughter to mm-hmm. come back and do battle with the monsters that the Green has sent to kill everyone. And when the Green's new Swamp Thing fails and is burned by these fisher people, uh, then all the parliaments team up and you get these cool, horrible monsters that are like tentacles and teeth and rotting flesh. It's like all like aspects of the red and the green and the rot all kind of like mashed together into these nightmare beasts. Mm-hmm. And... This this is I think where where Mankey really shines on the art because these creatures are gross, like in in that oh, yeah. that best like horror way possible, where you look at them and you just kind of go yeah. Yeah, I I picked this book up. I think I was I think I was buying the single issues for it, and I was just like I couldn't get into the first issue. But then when they when the whole series was done, I read it all in a go. Um, it's it's very gross. Like you said, Doug Mankey's like art is unbelievably disgusting in the best way <laughs> like he really makes your skin crawl um and uh yeah that that i don't want to say that wild and crazy john constantine in a lighthouse is just a it's a trip yeah yeah i know and they're, they're talking about like they don't mention his name for the first like issue or whatever it is i read the, mm-hmm. the, the volumes i don't really know where the issues started or ended mm-hmm. but I, I figured it was going to be alec holland who was living out mm. there and then when we met him, I was like, oh, shit, Constantine. That makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is and... this a black label book? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it sounded like one of those really out there, kind of crazy, you know, maybe sort of interesting ideas that hopefully never gets ruined or <laughs> whatnot by getting dragged out into being a series. So 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 they don't overdo the black label-ness of it. Like it's not over the top gory. It's not F-bombs every, everywhere, (laughs) but they, they do like take advantage of the black labels. Like they say fuck when you think that a rational person would go, oh, fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's not over the top, right? It's not like some of the first couple books where it definitely felt like that, like DC Black Label was the was the you know was going through their own uh, HBO season one syndrome, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, it's 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 for mature readers, not for edgy teen readers. (laughs) I like I like the distinguishing line there because, like, (laughs) I mean, which brings up a good point. DC, there's probably a market there. Open open up an imprint for edge lords. Like make right. it a th- right. <laughs> DC Edge label, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. But yeah, um, my only kind of beef with it or question about it was why didn't Constantine just do more stuff? Because like I've read Constantine books, I know the man can do some destructive magic when he wants to. Mm-hmm. Why is he just like, you know, dragging Alec Holland back to life and making a deal with the devil and? and dragging poor buddy baker's daughter into this yeah but if it's like true constantine going back to like the 80s hellblazer like the idea that he just walks around like a couple city blocks for 20 or 30 pages and smokes seven or eight cigarettes and he's like yeah i guess that's my life um like that's (laughs) that's that's super true to form i think that's like it's like uh i sort of love that um I feel yeah, like I it's like it it's like the very american constantine that's like he has to do stuff it's like really why let's just amble around and just fucking get drunk at the pub with the boys <laughs> yeah like this is the end of the world there is no pub there are no boys yeah so, yeah yeah okay well <laughs> I, I guess boston that. brand shows up but <laughs> He's he's very dead, so he's not really a great drinking buddy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Not one for atmosphere, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. I uh, I guess did you like it? All things considered, though. I mean, (laughs) I'm curious because I mean, I don't know. I was I was very middling on this book because I kind of like cool. It's like a creature feature, and then I feel like I got lost in a little the detail or a couple of the details because I was like, I don't completely know all this stuff, and I don't know. It's funny you put it that way because I was like, oh, cool. It's like a creature feature. Because that's yeah. <laughs> like I, I've realized that I don't like horror movies. I like monster movies, and this sure, felt sure, like sure. a very good like good monsters versus bad monsters, alien versus predator. No matter who wins, we lose kind of thing. Right, right, right. Well, cool. Um, yeah, I I think uh, the the one thing I'll take away from this is that uh, just give Doug Monkey a book to draw more monsters. Right, Please. I think that's probably what we all want. Uh, well, let me talk about a book really quick uh, that I read. I guess I could give you guys an update. I'm uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, it's been a chaotic week, um, and I have basically lost numerous hours to reading comics and building a comic book website thing. Hmm. And like, I literally looked down at my computer at like seven o'clock last night and looked up and suddenly it was 2 a.m. It was kind of one of those nights in between like it's funny I was building code and then I was also reading comics while I was waiting for things to compile and deploy and stuff. So I did manage to read a, quite a few books um, but one of them I, I'll talk about really quick. We had a discord book club yesterday so if you're a member of our discord you can join this very exclusive club of book club members where we you know pick a book and then we talk about it like once a month which is really fun. This very exclusive club that anyone can join. Anyone can join. I mean, I'm just saying it takes a little bit of effort to get there. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a cool bunch of, of, of folks where we pick out a book and we talk. And uh, this month we talked about Carmen. Um, this is by Gillam March. It's an image comic book um, that was published a little while ago. And uh, you probably saw the cover for this book, right? There's like a woman with pink hair and she's got like a black silhouetted body, but a skeleton is visible inside of her. Um, it's a really, really cool looking book. And I... I was really interested to read it because it's been on my radar for a while. Like these, the covers for this book were very, very like iconic. And I remember seeing them, but I never actually picked up the book. Um, and I don't know why. And so it was really cool to sit down and and read. I will say a quick content warning for this book. There is a big focus on like self-harm and death in this book. So if that's something that's not your jam, definitely avoid, maybe skip past this, use the chapters in this episode uh, to, to skip past this discussion. But um, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, 
lot of talk of death and this question of like, what is life? What is what is what happens after we die? Um, what is the point of life if not for living it? Um, as we follow this girl who is in this dreamlike state, um, and this woman named Carmen has shown up to essentially like ferry her around the real world in this dreamlike state to try to teach her some lessons i want to say but like in like a very like you need to value the things that you took for granted in life um but is she dead that's kind of like the big question at the center of the book so it's it's the uh, the ebenezer scrooge treatment i was gonna get to a point that the fact that the main character of this book definitely says am i in the christmas carol <laughs> and she she mentioned how she's never read the book but she's seen muppets christmas carol a yes. dozen times <laughs> the the only christmas carol worth watching is muppets exactly christmas carol. exactly um but yeah so i want to shout out to ricardo and tom for sitting down yesterday and talking about this book with me it was really really cool um i will say there's a lot of nudity in this book the main character uh when she is in this dreamlike state she was in the state that she was when she fell into it which was nude so she is nude throughout the whole book and it felt kind of gazy at times right like very kind of male gazy in the way that she's just kind of drawn in that those stereotypical shots behind like a woman's waist where you can just see like the outline of her of her body and stuff but of course she's nude so it's just like a naked butt um but i also felt like a lot of this book was an exploration of like the human body in motion right like where you go if someone you know if you were an artist and you were working on your craft you would maybe go to like a life drawing uh thing where you sit in a circle around like a nude model to try to just like draw the folds and the way that the body kind of shapes itself and i felt like march in this book while he had moments where he was kind of showing this woman in like a a gazy way a lot of her portrayal in this book is like swimming through the sky and like the human body looks really weird when it's like moving and he did a lot to like show our main character kata kind of like in situations where like her arms are folding over her body because she's embarrassed early in the, in the book about being naked out in public even though no one can see her and so like there's a lot of like hands over body and like her scrunching herself up and kind of sitting and as she moves around he definitely tried to I feel like get as much expression and movement out of her body as possible. Um, so yeah, it was, it was interesting because I feel like after the first maybe 20 pages, you kind of ignore the fact that she is naked and the story really starts to root in um, as to what Carmen is trying to do as this, this she's this dream journeyer, like kind of person who has come to check up on our main character Kata and escort her through this dreamlike state that she's in. And I really don't want to reveal any spoilers here, but this book is has like a, a lot to say about like death and life and the meaning of things and the meaning of relationships um, that I really thought was interesting. I think the discussion we had yesterday was really was really great because kind of pointed out that while Gillen March isn't doing anything like revolutionary with this book, there is a good core message at the center of it. Um, and I, I don't know, overall, it was a really good read from like start to finish. Like I got about 50 or 60 pages in thinking that I was still at the beginning of the book, not realizing that I'd just been flying through the pages. Um, and I, I think the last thing I'll say about this book that I really, really loved was Gillen March definitely has like a city that he worked in that he modeled for this entire book. Like he essentially took this entire five issue series and said, I'm going to draw every square inch of this one Spanish city. Um, and he did because half the book is our main character, Kata just flying around and she's not even on the page as he's doing like full page or two page spreads of like just beautiful aspects of this Spanish town that she lives in right on the coast. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Like his artwork alone just in the cityscapes and the way that he portrays like every everyday average people just kind of going about their lives is beautiful. He And he does a lot of like really interesting things with perspective in this book that I thought was unique. Like he was really trying to flex on the page and say like, yeah, I could have drawn everything kind of straight on standard, you know, film, you know, angles and stuff. But instead he does like a lot of stuff with fish, fisheye lens, a lot of stuff with like curved perspective as if like you're looking at things through like a, a, a glass of water or something um, a lot of like upside down cityscape shops that kind of like mess with your brain as you're kind of flipping through the pages so from a perspective of like just looking at some really beautiful art this book is great um the story is like four out of five i think it's it's really good i think the message is solid um like again it's not groundbreaking but it's still like a really good read from start to finish so if you're looking for something to kind of like off the beaten path this feels very 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 european but that's because <laughs> main, the guy who made it is deeply steeped in like spanish culture so i'm not surprised there um but yeah it's really really good i liked it 
Did you guys by chance have, have you heard of this book? Have you seen this book before? I've definitely heard of the book. Um, I've read a couple other things that March has done um, at, yeah. at big publishers um, and um, his sort of style and his flair and, and his artistic talent always were just immediately present. So the idea that he mm-hmm. was going off and, and, and doing something non-big too and, and, and something that he was sort of helming um, himself was, you know, was, was interesting, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. But I never really got much insight into like what exactly the book was about. Although it sounds like from what you said, it's just cause it's like, <laughs> it's tackling a whole bunch of things. So yeah, it's a little difficult yeah. to succinctly, you know, describe it. But like I said, it's a quick read. Like I was surprised how fast I got through it. So, um, but let's talk, let's talk about one more book each, I guess I'm going to pop back over to you, Nick. What else have you been reading? Um, so I also read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Saturday Morning Adventures number one. And again, I've talked about this a million times, like in 20 to 30 years, 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, anthropologists will never be able to like totally unweave the mess that is comic book, you know, organization just because so much of it is just shitty and confusing from like a metadata or an organizational standpoint. And yeah. so... When I say I read this book, I want to be clear that I read TMNT Saturday Morning Adventures number 1, 2022 to 2023, which is not to be confused with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Saturday Morning Adventures number 1, 2023 onwards. Because oh. this series was a mini-series that then I'm guessing must have been successful, and then they turned it into an ongoing series in the exact same year and kept the same name. So, um okay. The good thing about this book is that it's pretty episodic. So even if you read the wrong things in the wrong order, it just doesn't fucking matter. Okay. So, so very much this like is... a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Shredder is still alive at the beginning of the next one. And, you know, all the turtles are there. So it's fine. Um, and that's actually kind of a salient point about this. I'll come back to in a second. <clears throat> anyway, uh, the story is by Eric Burnham. The art is by Tim Laddie. Colors are by Sarah Meyer. The letters are by Sean Lee. And this book sort of shows up at a, a an interesting time. I mean, it's it's been maybe about a year now, but the ongoing is is happening now. But uh, mm-hmm. with with the turtles, you've obviously got their big, massive ongoing series that IDW launched in 2012. That's quickly approaching issue number 150. Uh, Holy and smokes. If you, yeah, and if you tie in all of the other mini series and all the other little books that have been attached, I think that number. I think I looked it up and it hovers closer to like 290. So I totally get why some people are like, yeah, I want to read the turtles, but that looks like an absolute just unapproachable mess, which I would say it's not. It just looks that way. But I totally get people who look at that and go, that's maybe too much for me. Yeah. I don't know what's more surprising, the number of issues or the fact that they have not renumbered back to number one yet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, what's kind of weird is that they sort of, kind of put in if i recall like a weird little reset at issue 101 but then didn't reset the number it doesn't matter but like i think they kind of half tried okay (laughs) like they sort of i think half tried if i recall um so there's that and then i guess you could also read the last ronin um which of course you know, it was that big prestige series that took like three years to come out and it got like a spinoff series uh, called uh, Lost Years. And then now that's getting a sequel, Lost Last Ronin 2, and it's getting a video game and like, don't the last Why can you are believe they ruining it? a good Can you thing? believe it? Yeah. Can you? Be- I know. Right. Like I felt like so much of the power of that book was that it was this one little standalone thing and it was sort of like a what if scenario um, and it yeah. was interesting. Um, and now it's its own universe. Um, so if you don't want that tonally darker, grim, dark stuff, or you don't like the fact, like I do, don't like the fact that it sort of is kind of spinning off into its own franchise, um, maybe that's not for you. And I think that's why Saturday Morning Adventures is such an interesting entry, because it basically says... This book is completely episodic, more or less, um, mm-hmm. just like the cartoon, as we as we brought up earlier. And you can read these issues in any order. It's not building up on a bunch of canon. It doesn't have a tonally darker, you know, aesthetic or story. Uh, it's pretty much for all ages. 
Um, it's bright, it's colorful, it's fun. Um, and I think IDW is definitely trying different things right now, especially because obviously they had some issues with the business within the last year. They had a bunch of layoffs. They lost Transformers. They lost G.I. Joe. Both of those are now a Skybound. Um, so I think probably with what's left, Turtles might be the strongest property that they're left sitting on at this point. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, if you're cynical, you could look at this and say they're just going back to the well and just trying to get a little more blood out of the stone. Right. But I think that this does provide, um, you know, something that I do think audiences are interested in. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, and the first issue sort of follows Donatello. He takes advantage of a rainy day to be like, hey, let's train indoors with my latest invention, um, which is basically a MetaQuest 3 um, that all of the turtles, you know, put on their face. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and Mark Zuckerberg is there and he's on a he's And he's on a like, Windsor you got to have a Facebook account. And he's standing there with Bebop and Rocksteady. Um, right, right. <laughs> right. So uh, basically he's programmed training simulations um, and he's borrowing, he borrows assets from some of Michelangelo's old classic video games. Uh, and of course they get trapped. And of course he's like, Oh, I just push this button and then we leave that machine of course breaks. And it turns into the, if you die in the game, you die for real conceit. Although yes. it's an all ages book. So instead of you, know, you die for real, it becomes, we get trapped. Right. Um, right. So and then there's one little kid reading this book. It says like, I'd love to be trapped in a video game forever. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait to get trapped in my Roblox world. Mom and, and dad are arguing super all glue the time. The... I wish it was Minecraft 24 <laughs> seven. Super gluing <laughs> Oculuses to their faces so they could live forever in the Roblox universe. Yeah. Just, just gorilla grew gorilla glue around the outside of it. Why not? Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. went gorilla glue and gorilla grod there. Didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think that's what happened. Wait, is Barry Allen in this comic? Is that what I heard? No, 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 no. Okay, no, no, no we're not. We're not <laughs> tying in the Flash. We don't need the controversy. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, honestly, um, I think that the fear of dying in the machine is is probably not as terrible um, as the fate that awaits Donatello if he gets out, because there are definitely some Nintendo riffs here that are going to just bury him in a lawsuit if he ever escapes. So, um, yeah, but it absolutely nails the look of the cartoon. Burnham has already had a great feel for the characters. I think Burnham wrote the Ninja Turtles, or at least he co-wrote the Turtles Ghostbusters crossovers. Cause I believe he was writing Ghostbusters back at that point. So he sort of already okay. had a handle, um, on the characters and it's just a, it's just a fun send up. Of, of video game culture. And especially um, if you played some of the Ninja Turtle games, like the Ninja Turtle fighting games or the side scrolling platformers, like there's even some Easter eggs and fun little riffs on, on those titles. So mm. it's, it's pretty self-aware of the, the turtles um, history, um, which is gotcha. fun. You know, I was going to ask, why does there need to be a Ghostbusters slash TMNT crossover? Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting question. Um, we can maybe talk about that after in the second half of the show. Sure. Um, but then I saw what Brian is going to be talking about next. And I said, oh, wait, wasn't there a crossover with this series at some point? So, Brian, tell us what else you've been reading. Because <laughs> it's another IDW title that might also be up there with Turtles. Yeah, uh, I read Star Trek Strange New Worlds, The Illyrian Enigma. This is written by Kristen Bayer or Bayer. Uh, and Mike Johnson, art by Megan Levins, colors by Charlie Kirkhoff, and letters by Neil Uyatake. Um, actually, I binged The Strange New World. There's only 20 episodes of it, and I watched all 20 of them in a week um, because I don't do anything but watch TV and read comic books and play video games. So I, I just finished that, I want to say, like, wednesday of this past week and then nick just offhand mentioned that this comic existed and it just kind of felt like uh felt like fate so i hopped on hoopla and sure enough there it was they had a uh, another crossover talking about crossovers with the mm -hmm. star trek lower decks cartoon series okay that i thought was very fun uh but i'm getting off topic there this book uh it's really good it is a uh, a bridge between seasons one and two where one of the characters has been arrested by Starfleet at the end of season one. And this is sort of the rest of the crew of the enterprise under 
uh, Captain Pike trying to find evidence to clear her name. Um, it very much felt like an episode of the show, which I appreciate. Like I, I nice. could very easily have seen the the actors playing out these parts, um, with the exception of Naked Spock. I don't know if Naked Spock would fly on uh, on the, <laughs> the, the screen. Okay. <laughs> um, it's fine. You don't you don't see anything good. Um, just his uh his bare back after he gets turned into stone. I see. There's a lot of like stuff in Star Trek that is science magic. And I, I can set aside disbelief on most of it. Like, you know, they have matter replicators to make food and they have warp drives. But then, you know, like, oh, we have this temporary genetic modification technology that will turn you into stone, basically. But I don't know. I struggle with that part a little bit. <laughs> That's where you draw the line. OK, I mean, all right. I mean, all right. At this point, Brian, is it almost too much to say it's highly illogical or? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> No, no, no! Look Thanks, at Mike! Look good. at Mike dipping his toes into Trek the Star Trek today. verse. Look at this! Yeah, this is where we uh, stage a hostile takeover of the show. <laughs> oh, Start man. next episode with Mike's head on a pike. <laughs> Which pike? The one from Star Trek? Or oh, oh look at hey, this! I saw He's the making movies. jokes <laughs> now, but I'm gonna make him marathon all the shows with me. <laughs> Won't be laughing then. Well, thing I think that this worked really well in the comics medium um they're just like little things like the the way they do speech bubbles for anybody who's like talking on comms or if it's like the the computer speaking or anything like that they have these pink speech bubbles that have one little like jagged hook at each mm-hmm. of the four sides like the cardinal directions um except for whichever side is leading down to the person speaking and I just think it, it looks very cool and it conveys the idea of like, this is an artificial voice really well. Gotcha. Yeah. So good lettering in this book by who was it? Uh, Neil Uyatake? Yeah. Nice. Very nice. They also managed to make uh, a jumpsuit look flattering on a person, <laughs> which, as you know, is not possible in real life. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I was just reading an article a couple days ago about how like Patrick Stewart like was he was talking about his his memoir that came out recently I think and he was talking about how he like they finally he got like literally got like a doctor's note to convince the producers of the show to redesign their uniform a little bit because it was so uncomfortable but like mm. Gene Roddenberry was just fucking crazy about the fact he's like, the shirt can't have any wrinkles. It can't have any wrinkles. And so apparently like Stewart would always like, and you, I guess you can see this, they call it the Picard maneuver. A lot of times, like when he gets up from out of a chair, he'll like automatically like pull down and like just tug on the shirt a little to like mm. prevent any sort of like wrinkles from showing up when he stands up. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that you sort of, kind of got at yeah. that same sort of uni- uniform issues um so it's just, there's this character nurse chapel who is like absolutely gorgeous and mm-hmm. her jumpsuit is like the weirdest frumpiest thing i've ever seen yeah and maybe that's just me maybe other people don't feel that way but <laughs> every time i see it i'm like god that's a bad outfit <laughs> it got me weirdly googling things like nurse chapel and now i'm going to be on a list i think of some yeah. kind um yeah a list but, of people watching strange new worlds yeah, yeah hey-o. list of uh, people appreciating star trek <laughs> sorry you uh, got on that one not me definitely not me um <laughs> let me talk about uh before the star trek fans start to send bomb threats to my house um I have to talk about one book that I read uh, on that is rare flavors. Number one and two uh, flavors with an OU because it's it's British or something. It's the non-American spelling. Uh, this is by Rom V and Felipe Andrade uh, letters by and world design. Uh, this is basically just another banger from the, the series that brought us the many deaths of Layla star. Um, if you didn't read that book, uh, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you should go read it. It's awesome. The story in this book is about Ruben, Ruben Baksh, uh, a demonic Rakshasa on a mission to make a great documentary about food. Um, but you know, he's got to eat a few people along the way. And that's a very, very simple summary of what this book is. Um, Ruben Baksh is basically like this 
very just large, almost like Kingpin in Spider-Man, the animated movie uh, sized character who kind of lives in angle. He's he well, he's just like a big circular man with a little tiny head. Um, he wears these little glasses. Um, it's almost cartoonish, but I think once you start reading this book, you can see that um, in, in Andrade is like leaning into like very exaggerated features about everybody. So like um, Box approaches a guy. His name is Mo about creating this documentary for him. Mo has a history of film, but he's reluctant to do it because he never aspired um, or never actually succeeded in being a filmmaker. But for some reason, um, Ruben believes that he should be the person making this film. And so Ruben uh, is this humongous kind of person. And I think that's kind of an implication of t- like a couple of things. Like he's a very large personality. He's he is a demonic Rakshasa who eats people um, and is and in historically uh uh, it seems like this 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 whole comic takes place in India. Um, historically, it seems that their uh, Rakshasa are just these humongous beings in general. So to bring him down to like a human scale, he's still very large. Um, but Mo, on the other hand, is kind of just this thin line of a man. Um, so to see them side by side is kind of comedic. Um, and especially when you see Ruben near other people in general, it's kind of just like almost cartoonish in the way that Andrade depicts all the different people because there are people that are very like triangle or upside down triangle shaped men or like very rounded women, but they're not like it's not like to draw them in like a quote unquote sexy way. It's that just like everybody has a definitive shape um, mm. and everything is very exaggerated about them. Um, there's two other characters in the book that we meet. And I don't really want to go into the details there because it's kind of spoilery, but those two characters are also kind of cartoonishly drawn. So like, I feel like with this book compared to the many Desolela star, which while it still has Andrade's like very flat cartoony style um this book feels even more exaggerated in its look and i think that's because this whole book is based around a lot of like mythical and fantastical things on top of being a food comic book because ruben's whole thing is to find the greatest food that he's ever had and make a documentary about it so the first issue is about um about chai uh the second issue is about a specific like uh dish that uses a very particular pepper that they have to go find out in the desert um it's really, really well done. And I think like if you've ever read a Rom V book before, you know that this guy has a way with how he crafts stories that has like this soft, poetic feeling that gets you settled in whatever world you you're going to be reading in like very fast. And you get a deep understanding of every single one of the characters that are involved quickly. Um, this book is no different. And the thing that flabbergasted me about this one in particular is how short these issues are. Like they are 23, 24 pages. And I felt like I was getting 48 pages of content. Um, and it's a uh, comic book. And it's not even like the, the story takes long to read. It's just, there is a richness to this book that very few other comic books, I think are able to nail the way that Ram V and Felipe Andrade are able to combine together in their storytelling capabilities. I, I really liked how, how much we get to know our two main characters, as well as these little minor characters with just a couple of interactions between the two of them, a couple of captions um, that are so well-crafted. I was just blown away by this. So um, I I don't really know what else to say about this book other than I freaking loved it, but that's kind of a given, given the creative team on it. Um, they really knocked these first two issues out of the park, and I'm very excited to see now that we've gotten over the hump of this question mark of who really is Ruben Bach. Um, in the first two issues, I'm very excited to see where the rest of this book goes because I loved the way that issue two ended and I cannot wait for the rest of it. Um, if you decide to wait for this book, that sucks because this re- this reads very well issue to issue. But I read one and two back to back and I really liked like how they well they flowed together say, at the same time. So um, I don't know. This is going to be a great read for anybody who wants to get it. How scary is this book on the scale of one to ten scaries? Because the preview sounded pretty scary. It's I mean, like there's an implication that human beings are getting eaten. But like other than some off panel remarks, it's really not like it's not like blood and guts, you know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of implication, right? Like that's that's the (laughs) thing that I think is really interesting about this book is that at no point do Andrade or Ram V go directly into saying like this person is like getting devoured and blah, 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 blah. I mean, like. I feel like this is PG-13 in terms of like the 
quote unquote horror elements that are mentioned, right? People talk about the idea of a person getting eaten. Their characters talk about eyes getting cut out of faces, but you mm-hmm. never see any of that, right? It's not like let's spend six issues showing how this person or six pages showing how this person got cut up. It's like off panel something happened and somebody goes oh i think that guy got eaten (laughs) like oh okay um so if you can't deal with the concept of that maybe this isn't for you but uh it's not graphic by any means gotcha okay well you said that just made me think of it as like like fun water cooler talk like oh yeah you're about ted yeah ted got eaten (laughs) i mean that's kind of how two of the characters approach it in this book i'll say that but um anyways this book is awesome highly recommend it if you're looking for something off the beaten path yeah, and the, the covers for these single issues are mind-blowing. Like, Andrade is knocking it out of the park with these covers. Um, the interiors are great, but I really, really like the covers of this book. They're very, like, soft and almost almost intimidating at the same time. Because they all, so far, the first two issues have featured um, Ruben Baksh. And um, he's just a character that you're just like, I don't know, he's kind of scary just in his presence. That's that's all I'll say. So I, I would um, describe him as unsettling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. The, the the guy looks like, especially with the glasses, he looks like the bad guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he looks yeah. like he looks like uh, there's the Shadow King from the X Men, who's <laughs> also a character who kind of looks like this. But um, anyways, let's take a quick break. Um, when we come back, we're going to be talking about comics in the top for a pile and whatever other random things that may come up. Um, especially, I have some questions about Star Trek, maybe that we'll go into. So we'll be back in just a second. For our show this week, we are just talking about comic books i don't know what else you expected coming to the i read comic books podcast but if you made it this far we're still going to be talking about comic books and in specific we're going to be talking about comic books they're on the top of our pile comics that we're looking forward to reading next comics that we're just trying to get off the shelves maybe just a brand new book who knows um but before we get into our picks let me shout out some folks that are hanging out with us on discord or perhaps posted on one of our top of our pile posts on patreon that we do every single thursday uh but what everybody on the show is reading what some of us are reading next so uh shout out to avocado kenobi who is reading spirit world number six uh who's on patreon uh shout out to paul g reading project monarch by uh michael aving oming and victor santo ck is going to be reading we only find them when they're dead volume three very excited to hear your thoughts about that ck danny's going to be reading thanos number one and hugh is going to be reading midlife number two that's a lot of books um, sounds like a lot of really good stuff, honestly, given the folks that we know who are reading comic books. So, um, but let's get into the books that we've been reading. Um, I'm going to kick things over to you, Brian. What is on the top of your pile? Yeah, uh, the top of my pile is, um, you know, it's it's a an older book. You probably haven't heard of it. It's called Old Boy, mm. which is a joke because everybody has been telling me I have to watch Old Boy for the last 12 years of my life, uh, conservatively the last 12 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Written by Garon Tsuchiya, art by Nobuaki Minagishi. Minagishi. I don't really know anything about this book. The only reason that I'm finally getting around to engaging with it is because it's going to be our movie club book for the end of 2023. Yeah. Uh, so Patreon supporters look forward to that. But I, I was just kind of scrolling through Hoopla looking for stuff to read and I happened to notice this on there. It says, um, the narrative follows protagonist Shinichi Goto, a man who, after a decade of incarceration in a private prison, is suddenly freed. After his release, Goto must find his captors and discover the reason for his confinement. And that kind of made me realize, I don't know jack shit about the Japanese prison system. Like, what is a a private prison? Uh, Without spoiling anything, Brian... I am so fucking excited for you to find out about what this book is all about um, and what this story is all about. Um, I don't know if this is a if this is a Korean book or if it originally was a Korean book or if it was a Japanese manga. Because um, I know that this book, if I'm not mistaken, is published by Dark Horse. But like the old boy movie is a Korean movie. And I can't yeah. remember if it's based off of like a Korean comic or if it's based off like a Japanese comic. But yeah, the, the private prison bit is... Uh, is definitely a misleading description of what actually happens to this guy. But nonetheless, he does get freed and he does need to figure out why the hell was I even there in the first place. And it's, it is something else, man. Yeah. 
It's it's giving me John Wick vibes, but I'm not sure if that's just because like the cover of the book is just a hard ass in a suit. Mm-hmm. What's what's really funny? I, you're going to hear me talk all about this on the movie club episode that we record. But John Wick definitely stole some stuff that happened in the old boy movie to like make their book movie cool as like a callback. There is a particular scene in the old boy movie that if you watch it, you're going to suddenly see it in like five or six other stuff or TV series and movies and stuff. You're going to go, Oh, and you're going to realize hopefully that the old boy version is the best one. And that everyone else is just a poor imitation of a really, really cool scene. Um, But yeah, John wick vibes definitely because the guy, (laughs) he definitely kicks some ass. I'll say that. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to to both reading this and watching it. Um, awesome. I think that this might be one of those things that might work better as a film, mm. um, if if it is very like dynamic and action oriented. I find that it's it's possible for stuff like that to get lost in manga. Mm. Like I I stopped reading My Hero Academia forever ago because I just couldn't fucking follow what was happening on the page anymore. <laughs> sure. Oh, God. Sure. My, my nephew, when he was in town, um, I hung out with him and we talked about the vigilante arc of My Hero Academia, which is just about where I've kind of stopped reading the book. I have a plan to eventually go back and get caught up, but the vigilante arc was the thing he's like, isn't it the coolest thing you've ever seen in your entire life? And I was like, listen, bud, you're only 12. I don't 12. Even know what I'm seeing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you don't even understand what the definition of cool is. <laughs> um, so a prime target for that edgelord imprint we were talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's. Uh, I could I could talk about that all day. But um, Brian, I'm very excited to hear what you think of this manga. I, I actually haven't read the manga myself. Um, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to reading this first volume, if not the whole series, depending. It's a very short series, if I remember correctly. So, yeah. Didn't that also get adapted into um, a movie with the guy? Oh, the Josh Brolin movie that we no should never speak for... about. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Got it. Just wanted to be sure. It's just just another one of those entrance uh, instances where it's like yeah, that was uh, the 2013 Spike Lee joint. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, we could maybe ask um, Americans to read subtitles, or we could just make a whole nother movie. We could do it. We could do it. It's the movie that definitely made me very nervous when I heard people talking about making an American adaptation of Train to Busan. Yeah. And I just remember being like, Train to Busan is fantastic. And I think they could only fuck it up if they <laughs> if they made an American version. Spoilers, that's that's what happens with the old the American version of Old Boy. I'll say that. Okay. Okay. That's why I'm glad we're watching the original. <laughs> yeah, same. Um well, Nick, before I get to you, uh, let me talk about a book that I'm excited to read next. This is Monica by Daniel Klaus, a masterpiece, as quoted by Paul from the I Read Comic Books podcast. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. He's a pretty reputable you know, reporter on comics. Um, but the synopsis for this book is pretty simple. Monica is a series of interconnected narratives that collectively tell the life story, actually stories, of its character um, and or title character. And what I like about this really primitive pitch is that it's daniel klaus and like i know that it's going to be kind of weird kind of like cutting to the bone with some things it's going to make me feel awkward it's going to show off some stories that make me feel uncomfortable um but in the same way that some of the other books that i've read by klaus has done like patience um or ghost world where there's a lot of really on the ground, true to life stuff, and turns out that on the ground, true to life in general is kind of awkward. So, um, looking forward to see what uh, makes this a masterpiece, according to Paul. Uh, besides, like, I don't know, everyone has been fawning over this book, which makes me excited about it. Fanographics usually, um, when they hit, they hit really well. So, the fact that this is getting such positive reviews makes me really excited to read it. And I got a nice, big, huge hardcover um, because I couldn't resist when I went to Forbidden Planet. Um, and I grabbed it. So I'm very excited to read this. And like I said, Paul said it's good. And I can't remember the last time that he was wrong. So, you know, it should yeah. be fun. I don't remember the last time Paul was wrong. I remember the last time I disagreed with Paul. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it was Ghost World. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. You know, that was that was a long time ago, Brian. You know, I realized that we're hitting year four on the IRCB Movie Club. So four years ago, you can just let it go. That, I promise. that doesn't feel right. <laughs> I know that it's it's like there was this gap of time you know that like made us think that time maybe hasn't passed as much as it did so um anyways uh that's what i'm looking forward to but nick let's let's jump over to you to to wrap things up what is on the top of your pile oh well for me it's definitely got to be petrol head number one um this is from image comics 
comes out next week on on Wednesday. Um, full disclosure, our podcast did get an advanced copy uh, comp, so I did read that. This is uh, a book that's written by Rob Williams uh, with art, covers, colors, letters, and graphic design all by Pi Parr. Look, I'm pretty much almost always going to read a Rob Williams book. I think most people familiar with Williams uh, are used to all of his 2000 AD work. Uh, occasionally, he does sort of show up in American comics and do something like, I think, like his Martian Manhunter run. And then maybe remember why he doesn't like doing uh, American comics. I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but I think you see these people who like come over, they do an arc of something and they're like, yeah, that's 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 all I'm going to do for now. Right. And then go back to 2000 AD. And uh, I mean, basically, look, I just saw the cover for this book and I was like, uh, this looks fucking awesome. Uh, and and was like how will this disappoint me like even if I don't open up this book and I just sit there and I just look at this image uh, for like an hour I'm still gonna be like this is this is fucking cool and it's just it's like there's something about people who work on 2080 books that just have this really great sardonic sci-fi tone that's not like grim, dark, post-apocalyptic future. And it's not like super self-aware, haha, I'm in the future and it's it's shitty, but also I'm gonna I'm gonna make a funny sort of thing. Um <laughs> you know. And I think in some ways that's sort of if if you look at the tonal difference in the, I'm painting with a broad brush here. Um sure. but if you look at the tonal difference between IDW's Judge Dread. And um, 2000 AD's Judge Dread, mm-hmm. uh, you sort of can see this um, t- tonal divide, um, if you will. Yeah. So I just love that perspective that you get with those sorts of books. And this book really seems no different. Like, right out of the gate, you're introduced to this robot who has, like, a little equally robotic little buddy of his who's just like a bird who begins the f- book by saying like, oi, oi, watch yourself, fuzz is coming. Um, and you can uh, add your own British accent to that. I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> nice try. Can, can Two we weeks get in Nick- a row. <laughs> not going to happen. Damn, Damn it, you want to say it's white. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, but, but the fuzz do indeed show up. Uh, and uh, sort of there's a crowd surrounding this robot uh, and this astonished child in the front row um, goes, the robot's smoking, mom. Uh, um, but like we don't mean smoking in the sort of like circuit overload or like wiring malfunction variety. We mean like the, the robot is like literally got a Marlboro Red in his mouth. And <laughs> hell yeah. Right out of the gate. You're like this book fucking rules. <laughs> and. You learn that this guy is apparently one of the titular head. Uh, let me try that again. Mixed up my words here. You you learn that he's one of the titular uh, petrol heads, and these petrol heads are banned from non-pollution sectors because obviously this is the future, and Earth is pretty crummy at this point. Mm-hmm. And so he's told that he has to go back to his smog zone or face immediate consequences. And I just love this world building where it's just equal parts expansive, it's intuitive, it's easily understandable, uh, it's not lore dumping, it's not heavy exposition, but it's just, it's it's it feels organic, it's easy to understand, and yet it's also kind of like funny. And it's great to have these books that can walk and chew gum at the same time, because mm-hmm. you don't have, like, it's in my experience, and I'm sure it's true for so many comic book readers, you, you either have books that like, go nowhere and they build tone but there's no world building or it's just lore dump lore dump for the first two arcs and then it's like okay you know now that you've read all of this let's let's get the train moving so this book just it's fun and it exudes and it sets the stage for what it wants as a tone just right out of the gate uh and i love that 
Well, yeah, you were you were sending me screenshots of this last night, and I was like, what the hell even is this book? Like, I'm definitely excited to check this out. Um, like you said, we got a comp, which is nice. Um, but still, this this to me looks like one of those kind of bonkers comics that you only get every once in a while. Like, I feel like a book like The Weatherman feels like this, like it should have been something like this, and it kind of it kind of drifted in a different direction. But from what you showed me, this seems like it's gonna be just bonkers and really, really fun. So I'm I'm looking forward to reading this. Um I might snag a copy at my shop if I go, because who knows? Like you said, Rob Williams doesn't really write a lot of American comics. Um, so it's it's nice to get one of his books every once in a while. Like it's funny you mentioned him as like a 2000 AD creator. I actually know him from his book that he did a while back called The Royals. The Royals, yep. Which I was, think like, it was Simon if, Boland, maybe was on that. Yeah, it was like, what if what if the the royal family actually had superpowers and that's why they're the royal family? It's like this is stupid. Great. Thanks for reading. Thanks for like writing five issues and just call it quits i really appreciated that <laughs> yeah yeah um it's it's i th- it's so much fun honestly i i realized the book is a little expensive i think it's like six bucks but it is an oversized issue the yeah. art yeah. is just like absolutely gorgeous like a- any sort of post-apocalyptic narrative that doesn't go for the obligatory color palette of grays and browns and blacks and actually just gets colorful like mm-hmm. it's it's tonally you know, it looks like a shitty place to be, but it has a broader color palette, which I I appreciate. And there's also, you know, a little it's not hand holding, which I appreciate, like social commentary, because you learn that this uh, robot whose name literally is Petrolhead. Uh, he used to be part of these things called the Petrolhead races, which was basically extreme racing sports. You get robots driving cars People bet on them. They purchase merch of them. They have their favorite drivers. Uh, and this whole thing is devised by the government to distract people from the fact that their entire world is grade A fucked. Um, they have to live in these little uh, little <laughs> habitation zones, right, where it's, yeah. it's, it's safe and the environment is okay, which, of course, is why they want this guy out. And he has to go back to his smog zone because, of course, he's ruining the environment. Mm-hmm. Is and this so, the future of F1? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, like, you know, exactly, right? <laughs> because, like, it, first off, it's just funny because he gets the name Petrolhead because you have all these other cool racers who have names like Hybrid, but they determine that this guy is so ugly and he's poorly designed that they can't come up with a name for him, so he just gets called Petrolhead. And, yeah, there is, I mean, I don't know if this was intentional or it's just me, you know, reading into it from my own perspectives, but, yeah, there is something of a commentary about you have this racing... And it only exists in the smog zones, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In the environmentally awful areas. And of course, you know, it sort of falls out of fashion. Um, and it kind of also becomes a question of like, why do you celebrate this thing that's environmentally questionable at a point when the environment is not doing great overall? And mm-hmm. yeah, like you could read some <laughs> formula one or automotive racing environmental reform stuff into that i don't sure. know but isn't there isn't there an f1 thing that f1 is e, electric which is yeah, electric yeah formula e you. and you yeah. do where you do exactly where i was going yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i got of you. course he did yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Think we're talking to <laughs> exactly I know, I know i know um well this book looks really cool man i mean like yeah. i i really like that you know, every once in a while, I feel like we get some really interesting books coming out from from Image. And like, this seems like one of those books that's going to be just like a lot of fun, probably quick and done. And it'll be a nice little trade to have on your shelf, right? Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I think there's a lot going on here. And whether you're into robots or racing, uh, you know, some pretty dry humor or some, you know, light social commentary um, and just just gorgeous gorgeous artwork just absolutely gorgeous artwork i don't know why i've never heard of this individual before because the artwork on this book is just absolutely stellar uh i think it's only three issues which maybe makes sense to me i have a feeling that this was probably all done completely in advance because i don't know how anyone could draw this book on a monthly Mm -hmm. basis it's just borderline impossible yeah, looking at this person's other art, it looks like they've done stuff for 2000 AD. So that's probably where yeah. they they hooked up with uh, Rob Williams. But like the the amount of just detail in some of their pages that they've done is is incredible. Like I'm looking through their Instagram right now, and it is it's a lot of cars. I think they like drawing machines. That's that's what I'll get. That to. That makes total sense. So. Yeah, yeah. 
No. Very cool stuff. Yeah. If you're looking for something a little standalone, a little different, beautiful, check it out. Uh, and if you hate it, uh, let me know. And Mike will gladly compensate you those $6 or whatever. Is it? Hold on a second. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> I guess. I guess you can make the, you get one, one IRCB guarantee using my <laughs> one, wallet. One, one Mike wrap and promise by proxy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, that kind of I think that kind of wraps things up. I was going to say I had some questions about Star Trek, but honestly, guys, I'll be honest. I don't really care about Star Trek. So um, you're afraid we'll convince you to actually watch it. I, I mean, I, Mike, have you have, have you seen all of the uh, the Chris Pine no, movies? Nope. No. I, oh, yes, I have seen all. Of those. I was going to yeah. say, like, that's that's most people's like, you know, if you can cross that threshold, then we can start working on, you know. I mean, that's three movies. How do you feel about 170, 45 minute episodes? That's just a little <laughs> step up. I I don't think I could ever. That time has passed in my life. My pitch on Strange New Worlds is that it's a prequel series to the original series. So you don't need to know. Anymore. Or is it? Or is uh, it? Or or it's an alternate dimension. Yeah. An alternate yeah. timeline. Uh, the question is, is there a Beastie Boys song in it? Because that's what got me hooked on the Star Trek movies. <laughs> Uh, them, them playing sabotage like four times in three movies yeah yeah i would never watch those movies in succession like over a short period of time but i watched them over multiple years so yeah, by yeah, the time yeah, yeah. the beastie boys song came back i was like oh yeah remember <laughs> <laughs> so you know um yeah i'm sorry to all the star trek fans out there it's just it's just not my thing i just i don't think it's, it's one of those few things that i just can't really put my my feet into and feel comfortable um like i tried it with doctor who for a while and i was i was into some who stuff um but then i gave up and you know like it's it's just x-men and and, and star wars for me i'm sorry and pokemon apparently so um i never liked of, star trek either but but here you are okay i don't know man we'll see maybe i'll actually give that first episode a try and see how i feel and then i can get some people's screaming at me off my back i just you know really wish that you would uh engage with this content i will make it so make okay? it yeah, please how do. about that <laughs> <laughs> i will become part of the borg is that is that one of them that they do or no okay. i mean close enough. resistance is futile mike, <laughs> oh that's so. what it is shit mm-hmm. um, yeah, okay. yeah that's the phrase mike become one of the borg that's yeah. that's what they say when right. they when they when they board your ship you will become part of the borg I right. mean, it's pretty declarative so yeah that's it. That, it makes sense. Uh, I, a lot. <laughs> Anyways, I'm, before I try to be uh, funny any further, um, <laughs> we're going to wrap things up. <laughs> I want to say uh, next week's show is going to be really fun because it's me and Paloma and Kara. We're going to be talking about Sailor Moon. I've never read Sailor Moon before. I think I've only seen a little bit of the anime. So I'm calling this Mike's first ever magical girl transformation. Um, so make sure you read some Sailor Moon and come hang out with us next week. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, kind of Twitter, more more like threads um, on and Instagram, Discord. We've got our Goodreads. We've got our YouTube. Check all the stuff out that we're doing there. Um, Danny's been doing a great job segmenting up our show um, into, into digestible pieces if you just want to see comic reviews and stuff. That's been really fun. Um, and you can always support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast to get access to IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, uh, Giant Days of Our Lives, A Better Batmobile. We've got all these exclusive podcast series just on Patreon. So head over to patreon.com slash podcast to get access to that and so much more. Um, Infinity Shred is the best band of the universe. They do all of our music and they have a new album coming out. So go check them out on Bandcamp to get access to that early because the pre-release or pre-orders are starting now. Xander traveled through the center of a black hole and survived multiple times. Um, I don't know how we did it but he's he's still here uh, i want to say thank you to brian and nick for being on the show with me this week thank you to kate for proof listening thank you to everyone hanging out with us on discord today you are fantastic human beings and if you got this far in the episode thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it and until next time comics are good and so are you Bye.